0: You're listening to The Promised Church's message of the week. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisedchurch.com.
1: Really excited to be here. How many of you are here for the first time? This is your first time here. Would you raise your hand? Wow, that's amazing. Would you let them know how thankful we are that they would be here today? Uh, no matter if it's your first time or your hundredth time, Every single time you come in here, you need to understand that it was the Holy Spirit that brought you here. And God drew you into this place today. And it's really important to understand that because typically, and I'm going to do my best because we're online. Hello, online family. Love you. I'm not going to go. I was told I cannot go down here, which is really, really hard for me to do, to stand behind the pulpit. But I'm going to be obedient today. Um. And so anytime the Holy Spirit brings you into a place, uh, he has plans for you to encounter him. And so uh, the idea of you walking in one way and walking out is a reality. It's the desire of his heart. He does not want you walking out the same way you walked in. You have to know that. And so it doesn't matter what you got going on in your life. He would never bring you into a place to keep you the same. He just doesn't do that. Never does. I mean, when Jesus steps into a room, like he's here this morning, you need to know that. So every time I minister, I try to get people to understand that God is here. And that's not just like some mist that's floating around. No, I'm talking about the person of Jesus Christ is in our midst. Now, whether our natural eyes can see him or not, the reality of his nearness is truth to our spirit. We can feel him. And that's why when the worship team begins to lift him up, somehow, some way, he draws us closer to him. So the response of a people today should be, Lord, if you're here, and I know you are, I refuse to leave without having an encounter with you. I will not leave without being touched by you. And so we have to position ourselves in that manner. And so you're not getting caught up in what someone is saying from behind a pulpit. And Lord, we don't want anything that Theo has to say. We want everything that comes from your heart. And that's it. So Lord, we would ask today that you would speak. Your servants are truly listening. But we want to see God be God. And we want you to know Jesus. And wherever you're at in the room right now, we want you to know that you can be yourself. And just simply be you. Today we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 3. So if you have your notepad or your Bible, um, I would suggest you get it out and take notes. It's really important. Um, You may think, ah, I'm a better listener. Um, You should tell your professor that when you're about ready to take an exam. Be like, I don't need to take notes. It's all right here. And so with the understanding of, wait, if God is talking, we want to capture what's being said. Might not need it right now, but we could need it at a different time in our life. And many things that I've written down, I, I didn't really need them in the season that I was currently in when I was writing them down. But I definitely needed them at a later season um, in my life. And it was amazing to go back to notes and thinking, my God, you were speaking then. And I didn't even know it, but you were speaking. So, so let's give God our full attention today. And whatever it is that he speaks to your heart, let's write that. Let's write it down, and show him that we're stewarding his word. We're cherishing his word when he speaks. He's not just like any other person that's talking. We're we're cherishing and stewarding the spirit of God when he communicates to us. Okay. So, Mark chapter three. Now, obviously, in Mark chapter three, we're going to get to the story of the man with the withered hand. It's important to understand, leading up to that, that you have Jesus who is casting out unclean spirits in Mark chapter 1. Um, he is healing Peter's mother-in-law, and all the mother-in-law said, hey, and all the husbands said, why? <laughs> I'm just joking, mom, if you're watching, I'm so thankful you're in my life. I mean that wholeheartedly. Okay. We're living with my in-laws right now. That's probably not a good idea, what I just did. Because <laughs> our house is being built in, in January, so that's, that's not good. But the truth is, she does my laundry still. It's amazing. She cooks. She's an incredible mother-in-law. She's amazing. And so um, we're leading up to right after uh, Peter's mother in laws is uh, being healed, we go to Jesus healing the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2. The Pharisees are questioning him now. They are all over him. They are not liking the attention that he is capturing. They're not appreciating what's coming out of his mouth. They're starting to get frustrated with him. And here we land in Mark chapter three. And that is the scene when Jesus enters the synagogue. So let's read Mark chapter three, verse one through six. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see how he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, everyone say come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them in anger. It's crazy that Jesus would look like that. I wonder what those eyes looked like when he was looking around. And looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Now this miracle is also located in Matthew and in Luke. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing today. We need you to know that we love you. We're desperate for you. Even though we're full, Father, we're still starving might be completely satisfied, but we're still thirsty. Lord, we want more of you and more of you and more of you. So Lord, create in us clean hearts and renew right spirits within us. We want to hear you, we want to see you, want to know you and experience you. Communicate to us today, Lord. And we pray, Father, that as you speak to us, we would lay hold of it, we'd pull it in close, it would take root in our heart, it would produce fruit, Lord, so that the world might know that we serve a risen king. So in Jesus' name, Lord, we say, speak. Your servants are listening. And everyone said, amen. amen. First, I want us to circle in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, the word again. I don't know if anybody has real Bibles these days. I, got, I don't know how you're going to do it. Just highlight it and write it down in a note. Again. It's important to understand again because again speaks of the frequency of his attendance. We need to know that again is speaking of the frequency of his attendance, If God frequently attended service where they wanted to kill him, I think we should attend service as well. Dealing with difficulty, but attending the gathering to not only heal, but reveal. And Jesus was consistent with his attendance in the midst of adversity. This is important because typically what will keep you away from church is adversity or seasons of difficulty. And so we will come up with every excuse in the book as to why we can't go to church today without recognizing that there is a man waiting for you in his house. He's waiting for you and he's waiting for you with scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. He is the one that paid your debt in full. The one that called you out of darkness and into the light. I do not come to church to just simply come to church. I come to church to reveal my gratitude and my love and my devotion to the one who's waiting for me. If I have one moment out of the week, two hours out of a week to express to him that I love you and I'm thankful for what you've done. And if coming to church makes you smile, then I'm going to be there. Again, he entered the synagogue. It speaks of the frequency of his attendance. Only you know as to how consistent you are in coming to the house of God. If Jesus was consistent in the midst of adversity that we will never taste, surely we can come here into a place corporately, gathering together with other believers, glorifying him, and letting him know that we love you and we're thankful for all that you've done. The service in the synagogue would begin. I'm going to teach you guys a little Hebrew today. Is that okay? We're going to do, kind of do both preaching, teaching, that kind of thing. It'll be great. How many of you speak Hebrew? Amazing. Well, today you are. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to speak some Hebrew together. So I took some of these rabbinic Hebraic classes. I do not know. I'm not, I would never consider myself like a, a great scholar, I felt like when I was younger and I was preaching, one of my biggest fears was if someone asked me a question and I don't know how to answer it as a pastor, how's that going to look? Which is nonsense, because the greatest thing that I say now is, I don't know. It's amazing. But before, I was so scared to say, I don't know, because it'd be like, well, then you're not qualified to be a pastor. Now it's like, Do you... I don't know. It's amazing. Well, you just shouldn't. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> That's the truth. I really shouldn't. And neither should you. Um, none of us should be here right now, but we are. And just because you're sitting in a chair and I'm behind a pulpit doesn't make me any better than you. We're still on the same journey. I would much rather at times be in the chair than behind the pulpit. There's a great responsibility that comes with being up here, but I don't know everything. But uh, let's let's kind of dive into the synagogue of where it would be. Okay, so the service would begin when Jesus is stepping in and it says, again, he entered into the synagogue. The service would begin with the blessings that God would offer and that would be through prayers that were recited. But every single time, Jesus would pray the, this prayer twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. It's called the Shema. Does anyone know the Shema? Have you heard of the Shema? Okay, so the Shema comes out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So when Jesus walks in, that is going to be one of the prayers he says on the on the front end. This is just a side note, has nothing to do with the sermon today. It's really good for if Jesus prayed something twice a day, we should probably do the same thing. So I taught it to my kids. And so Again, we're in the process of learning, but I'm going to read it to you. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Levavcha et Adonai Eloheha Behu Levavcha Uvehu nefshecha, Uvehu Mehodeha. Let's say that together, okay? We're going to do it. No, I'm serious. Here we go. Ready? Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu. Evavta et Adonai Elohecha ha behu levavcha uvehu neshecha uvehu mehodeha. You guys just said what Jesus said back in the day. Isn't that amazing? Give yourself a round of applause. You did amazing. You sound like I almost felt like I was touring in Israel for a moment there. So when, when they walk into the moment, there are certain traditions that are happening. And, and, and so when Jesus walks in, uh, you have to understand that in order for him to have the ability to be able to recite the Torah and be able to pray and stand in front of an audience within the synagogue, he was approved. And it'd be like anybody who's on planning center here has been approved to speak. He had been approved and scheduled, and they would schedule this out. So it comes to the time where not only is he entering in, but it's not his time to just sit and listen, but it's also his time to communicate. In the process of communicating, whatever it was that he was reading, they would read the Torah, they would give a short sermon, they'd open it up for discussion, and that's typically where the debate would happen. Imagine debating with the Word of God. That's crazy that they thought they could... And so, so they're in the process of debating and Jesus is going through everything that he's going through. He reads and he, he comes to this place to where after he has done communicating all of that. It says that there is a man with a withered hand in there. I believe more than likely after he had read the Torah, after he had gone through it, and it comes out time for his sermon, maybe a bit after his sermon, I want you to notice who Jesus locates in the entire synagogue. He does not go for the holiest person. He does not go for the person who has it all together. He goes for the man with the withered hand. That is incredible news to know that when Jesus is here this morning, he is not going for the person who thinks they have it all together. He is not going for the polished or the preferred. He is going for the one who is withered. Now, a lot of theologians and scholars believe that this man, in order for him to be in attendance at that time, could not expose his withered hand. He could not expose his deformity and or his deficiency. So he would tuck it away. I wonder how many of us today are sitting with a withered hand tucked away where we only let the good side show. Uh, My marriage, I am going to smile in public, but when I shut that door in the parking lot, I'm not even connected to him or her anymore. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to smile and I'm going to be the jokester and I'm going to use humor to try to get people to not look into the deficiency. I'm going to tuck that deficiency away and I'm only going to give them the side that they enjoy. We have to understand that Jesus is coming today and he is looking for the individuals who have tucked something away that maybe the person next to you has never even seen. Maybe it's something about yourself that you've never even shared. Or maybe only a couple people know and you have not been able to let that side of your life be exposed because there is shame and you feel that you'll be rejected because of your deformity. Jesus goes to that one he doesn't come to bring shame you need to know that there is this sense where it's the it's the inevitable struggle in the presence of God where the deficiencies of my life come to the surface and I have to find a way to give those over to the Lord but the enemy would say surely you need to hide those you should be ashamed of that and so the enemy will always say keep it tucked away. Keep it tucked away. And Jesus comes up to the man with a withered hand. I love how he targets that man. Now, the word wither is xereno. Everyone say xereno. Now you're speaking Greek. You guys can speak three languages. You walked in speaking one, you've walked out speaking three. Xereno. Xereno means to become dry to waste away, to be withered. With that being said, most scholars and pastors are torn as the cause of his infirmity. So it's split into three different categories. Some believe that the issue transpired over time. And I would probably believe that as well, simply due to the definition associated to the withering away, to it wasting away, almost this gradual, slow thing that was transpiring in his life. I'm more inclined to believe that. Some others believe that it was an accident. It was a a sudden trauma that transpired in his life, and others believe that he was born with it. Just for the sake of discussion this morning, let's take all three. The withered withered with time, withered by trauma, withered by birth. Write those down. Withered with time, withered by trauma, withered by birth. I believe in this room that there are many of us who more than likely are able to identify with one of these reflections, withered by birth. You were born into dysfunction. You had to see things and be subjected to things that you had no control over. You became a product of your environment and much of the way you see life today is a byproduct of how you were raised and what you were exposed to. The things that you had to see growing up and you had no way of stopping it. What you had to experience and you had no one to defend you. The brokenness that you experienced day in and day out and you couldn't share it with anyone because you were told to cover and protect your home. But the environment that we are raised in cultivates the person that we become. It's the power of environment. You had no control over it. And so today you sit a born-again Christian, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, prophesying individual, but still you find yourself with the deficiencies and the dysfunctions rearing their head in times of being impressed and squeezed and those are the things that you have adopted because of where you've come from. And the portion of your life is withered. And you have been accustomed to tucking it away. So that would be somebody who was withered by birth, withered by trauma. Never in a million years did you ever think that it would happen to you. You would always look at everyone else and you would see those things happening to everyone else, but you never thought you would be one of those. You said, I will never let that happen to me. I will never let a man treat me like that. I will never let a man treat me the way my mother let my dad treat her. Or vice versa. Never in a million years did you ever think it would happen to you and you've lived life, and you've made some choices, but you never thought the consequences would lead you to this place. You never saw it coming. I think many of us have said, I can't even believe I'm here. This was so unexpected. It was so sudden. And that trauma has caused you to be withered. By birth, Or by trauma. Withered in time. The affliction came upon him gradually. I believe this one to be true. I could be wrong. Slowly his hand would start showing signs. Tingling and numbness. He tried to massage it to kind of get the thing to work. Almost like it felt like it was falling asleep. He was trying to get his feeling back, but then he started to lose strength. It was a slow and gradual process until it was withered, dried up, and lifeless. Nothing overnight. Some of us, I, I never thought that decision would lead me here it started so innocent. It was just a subtle glance. It was just one click. It was just one click one one time. It was just one sip to cut the edge off. Just subtle. Just just a sip to kind of cut the edge. It started innocent, just this one small offense that I couldn't ignore and I couldn't shake. Now it's led to hate and rage in my heart. Resentment has now caused my heart to be dry and withered, absent of forgiveness and vacant of love. The willpower that I thought I had is now gone and now my life is withered and I am a slave to sin. It was just a simple question that I originally had that I didn't understand what the pastor was preaching and I didn't agree with it. and, And that simple question has now withered at my heart and now I'm left with hopelessness and doubt about this whole thing. The enemy will never come and drop the finality of his plan. He will offer the small fox and a little seed that you think you can manage and you think you have control over. Today, people are addicted to pornography because they thought they could just have one look. And today you find yourself with a withered hand in that area and you are a slave to sin. But it all started with one little click. One click. And do you know what that does to a family? It destroys a family. Because the enemy is after your family. You need to understand that. He's after you to get to them. He wants the home. He wants the marriage. He wants your family. And so he will access the core of our homes by a breach in our wall. And it starts with one person. I have sat down and just on this topic alone, I cannot tell you what it does to a spouse It does one of two things. It will shut a spouse down completely, feeling as though they are not enough for the man that they said yes to. And this goes with men and women now. It is no respecter of gender. And then now what happens is, is that this foul spirit, even in the process of setting a man free, and the man could be free But the wife is still tormented and traumatized thinking, if I don't give him everything he wants when he wants it, he's going back to it. And now she's a slave in her own home because of one click. Do you know how long it is, how many hoops you have to jump through to find yourself staring at something or in the bed with someone? Do you know how many things you have to do to get there? Do you know that creation fell with a subtle conversation? Do you know that creation fell with just a conversation? Do not minimize the conversations you have with people. I can tell you how it works. It's typically going to work where in your home or in the relationship you're in, you want one thing. Or maybe two things, and you're not getting it on the inside of your house. So the enemy will bring somebody who looks like they carry the very thing you're looking for. I wish she was like that. I wish she would love me like that. I wish she would care for me like that. I wish that she would cook for me like that, clean for me like that, love me like that. I wish she would. I wish he would stand up for me like that. I wish he would listen to me the way he listens to her. I wish that he would be attentive. I wish that he would be proactive. I wish that he would communicate to me. I wish that he wouldn't make it all about himself. And so the enemy understands where you're at, and he will find the very solution to the thing you think you need. And typically, it will come into your house with a conversation. Every affair starts with a conversation. Everyone. I set up, and I am not in fear of anything, but I have boundaries that protect my marriage from anyone who thinks that they can breach that. I would rather be rude to you in a moment and protect my home than to try to be everything you want me to be and lose my home. It's not going to happen. And I don't believe we need to be mean to people, but some people will interpret it as being mean, and that's not my problem. Uh, it's just not my problem. I, I'm i so sorry that you interpret it as rejection. It's just the fact that uh, this is where this conversation stops. This is how close you can get. And that's why because when, you're withered, when you find yourself with a withered hand, it starts gradually. The same thing spiritually. You find yourself dry and lifeless and joy is gone. Dreams have been buried. And now you're just dangling through life like that arm would dangle. Once you actually were excited about participating in the things of God... And through disappointment, now you find yourself a spectator who simply lives on the sidelines. I wonder how many of us have this withered hand tucked away because we're disappointed. Maybe there was a time where we felt like we could bring our pain, our sickness, our brokenness, our issue, our infirmity. And we could bring that to the church. We could bring that to the elders. We could bring that to people that we needed to go to that could pray for us. But after they prayed for us, time and time again, I have come to this altar, I can't even tell you how many times, and every single elder has prayed for me, the pastor has prayed for me, his family has prayed for me, and I still remain the same. Disappointment will cause you to tuck it away. And I don't understand the timing of God. I don't get it. I I don't understand when he he hears my cry why he doesn't immediately come when I ask him to. I don't understand. Remember last time when I ministered, we talked about Lazarus and I don't understand why he doesn't come when he gets a message that there's a need with somebody he loves. I don't get that. I don't understand why he has to wait for his friend to die and his friend to be put in a tomb. I don't understand why he has to wait that long. But there's a man on a mat for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda where Jesus approaches somebody who had been laying down on a mat for 38 years. 38 years. Jesus at this time is in his mid-30s, 31, 32, right around there. could be close to the end. He starts his ministry at 30. He's right around 31, 32. This man has been on the mat for 38 years. Before Jesus was even born, Jesus was aware of this man. He knows the number of hairs on this man's head. And then he is stepping foot in the same region as this man. And I wonder how many times he walked past this man but didn't heal the man when the man wanted to be healed. So when he gets to the the pool, more than likely he was carried there. And he was carried there in the infancy stages. And I can promise you that there was probably a sense of expectation associated to him being placed in that place when he was there thinking, I'm going to get healed. They've put me in the right spot. I can't wait to see the water stirred because when the water was stirred, then the person would jump in and whoever jumped in would receive their healing. I don't know how long he was there, but let's just say he was there 10 years. So you're talking about the first few months, maybe year one. He gets to the pool. They carry him there. He's up close. He's ready to get in. And the water starts to stir. He's thinking, this is my moment. And he goes to get in and someone jumps in in front of him and he misses it. Thinking, "Ah, that's, that's okay. We'll do it again. Then he waits another year and then now he's in year two and he does the same thing and now he, he gets in and then year three and the same thing happens. Year four, the same thing happens. Five, the same same thing happens. Six, he says, you know what, pull me away. I, it's so cluttered when people try to run into the pool, I'm getting uh, just trampled on. I would rather sit back here at a distance. I'm now just gonna tuck this infirmity away. It's never gonna be healed. I'm never gonna be changed. I might as well settle on for a life on the mat. And I bet you there's some people in this room who have settled for life on the mat. When Jesus approaches this man, he says, do you want to be made well? And the first thing he says, there's no man to bring me in. And Jesus is looking at him thinking, that's the problem. You think man is your solution. Your pastor is your solution. There is no mortal man that can heal you. There is no mortal man to put you where you need to be. The son of man needed to come on the scene. The creator looking at his creation who was broken and saying, I remember the moment when I formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. I didn't make you like this. But when you came out, there was something that happened. But I want you to know that the original intention of my life is for you to live and move and have your being with life and wholeness. And yes, it, I waited 38 years. 38 years to use a long time. But to me, 38 years in the, in the scheme of eternity is but a vapor. <laughs> Do you want to be made Well, I don't have anyone here. And he says, rise. I want you to notice the parallel of both of these texts. Jesus is standing in the synagogue. The man with the withered hand is there and everyone's watching him. Now have this, you have this synagogue, the synagogue, the, the Pharisees who are in the synagogue in the moment and they're watching Jesus. And I think sometimes we can even be in that group where we find ourselves in a synagogue watching and not beholding. There's a massive difference. Transformation in your life will never come through watching and observing, through spectating. Never. Second Corinthians talks about us being transformed into the image of God by beholding him. So if you want to be transformed into the image of God, you must learn the difference between beholding and watching. So you had a group of people who were watching, and that's why there was no transformation. But then you had a man with a withered hand who was beholding. The first thing that Jesus says to him, he says, come here. Do you know he's been saying that from the beginning? Come to me. I'm sure the man, as he approaches him, has his hand tucked away, and he's thinking, oh, man, these guys are angry around me. Jesus come to me. And he takes a step. Don't you notice that the man could have never actually approached God until God first approached man? That God would step down from glory. I don't know how many steps it is from heaven to earth. I mean, the step, if he calculated it, would be off the charts. Think how many steps he took and then he gets so close to you and all he asks you to take is two or three. Tonight, I mean, this morning he steps into the room and he's walked a long way to be here. And he'll get up so close to you. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is at hand an arm's length away. And he'll get so close to you and he'll make it easy. He'll walk a million steps and all he asks you to do is take one. Come to me. And he tells the man to come to him. And then he does the same thing that he did with the man on the mat. See, the man had to rise. And the man with the, the, the man on the mat had to rise. And the man with the withered hand had to stretch it forth. Maybe today God is in this room and he's asking you to come to him and it's time to stop hiding that area of your life that's withered. And maybe he's saying, stretch it out. And maybe we just need to expose that thing. Can I have the worship team up, please? I'm, I'm done, basically. I think the Lord's just going to minister to you guys. There is no reason for any of us to walk out with a withered hand today. There's no reason. Your wife may not know that area that's been withered. You've hit it so well. Your husband might not know it, you've hit it so well. Your kids may not know that area because you have hit it so well. I don't know where you fall if it's you have been withered in certain areas of your life by birth. you've been withered in a certain area by trauma, time. spiritually, you find yourself dry feel like there's no joy and there's no life that's not what god intended for you so you have to ask yourself this question have i tucked away that area that's been withered and you need to know that the one that's asking you to come to him is not causing asking you to come to him to bring shame He loves you enough to tell you that you were never intended to walk around with a withered limb. You're intended to be whole. Why is this important? It's important because both hands need to be functional in order for us to extend the kingdom. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. In the end of 18, it says, and they will be able to place their hands on the sick and be healed. Not one hand, not one area of your life committed to the things of God and another area that's dead and lifeless. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up. He doesn't want you worshiping with one hand. He doesn't want you serving him with one hand. And the hand that was withered on that man was the right hand, which is the hand of authority and blessing. Could it possibly be the authority that you've been looking for, the favor you've been looking for, the blessing that you have been searching for is just simply due to a byproduct of that area of your life being withered. But today the Lord wants to restore that thing and he wants to remove any area of dryness and saturate it with his presence. And now he wants you to live life with both hands. Could we have you guys stand please? So I'm done and I'm going to hand it over. But before, before we do that, I I had this picture. And, and this has nothing to do with tradition, routine, or custom. That people come to an altar. It hasn't, has nothing to do with that. But I believe that Jesus is standing here. And he's saying, I I came for you today. In a packed synagogue, he found one man. And we're talking about one man today. We're not talking about a group of people. He always comes for one man and one woman. And he would travel all this way today to come just for you. It's crazy so he stands in front of this altar and as we worship i believe that the lord is going to speak the same thing to you that he spoke to this man and here's what he's going to say come to me A thousand steps. I'm asking you to take 15. I've seen that area that's been withered in your life, and no one even knows it. You've hidden it really well, but I've also seen the toll that it's taking on your soul. And you were never intended to carry dysfunction, you've been created to carry my glory. So, today. Let me heal that withered hand. Today, rise up from the mat that you've been accustomed to laying on. You don't need any man to get you to the place of your victory and or wholeness. All you need is me. Let's worship Jesus.
2: Lord.
0: Singing, "All hail, King Jesus!
2: All hail, King Jesus! All hail, the Lord of heaven and earth! All hail, King Jesus! All hail, the
0: Savior!" Come on, church, keep singing it. Sing it over the withered hand that's
2: in your house. Sing it over Jesus oh, all, all the Lord of and earth. King Jesus Oh Come on church, don't
0: stop one more time demons flee at the name above every name Come on Fear lows and goes in Jesus' name.
2: Depression leaves at the name of Jesus. Addiction bows to the name of Jesus.
0: and I'm ready to expose it. Can you just lift up lift up your hand and say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to, to expose this. Can you just lift up your hand, lift it high so we can see. Lift it high so we can see. I see you. Church, let's be the body now. Look around you and see who has that hand lifted up and begin to pray and intercede for them. Begin to pray and intercede for them. Begin to stand in the gap for them. to pray, church. Pray out loud. Intercede. Come on. Come on, church. Let the prayers of the saints rise like incense to the Lord. Come on. We pray for every broken marriage, restoration, in Jesus' name. We come against that spirit of addiction that has bound people in pornography, in prescription pills. We break it right now in the name of Jesus. Those who are battling addiction to alcohol, we break it off of you in Jesus' name. Those who are struggling with depression and anxiety, we break it in the name of Jesus. Those who are struggling with fear and bondage, go in Jesus' name. Church, would you would you all lift up your hands with me? Lord, we come before you with with their hand, God. And Lord, we ask Jesus that you heal our hearts, that you set us free. We are here for you and you alone, Jesus. No man can set us free. No woman can set us free. No job can set us free. No amount of money can set us free. No recognition Can set us free, but only the name that is above every name. Only the one whose blood was worthy to be spilled for the world. Only the one who stands alone, worthy enough to break open the seals. The one who was called faithful and true. The one who was called wonderful counselor. The one who was called everlasting God. Only you, Jesus. Only you, Jesus. So today, with our withered hands, God, we lift up our hands to you. And we say, God, heal our hand. We stretch it to you, Father. Heal our hearts. Heal our marriages. Heal our families. Heal the children who are gone. Bring them home. Bring back the bride.